Okay, well, we are studying the book of Mark, written by a man who's often called John Mark in the Bible. And Mark is the second book in the Bible. It's very possibly the first gospel written. You know, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, are called the Gospels. Uh, If you read, they're called the Evangelists as well. If you read... uh, Bible study books, the four evangelists. Um, and Mark, we don't even know exactly which gospel writer wrote first, but the majority opinion is that Mark probably wrote first after some of the letters were already written. But uh, so it's kind of cool to think about this is the first sort of laid out history of Jesus uh, written to probably people in Rome, uh, a long ways away from Jerusalem, and and mainly uh, probably non-Jewish audience, uh, like like us. We're probably mainly non-Jewish. And Mark, another very cool thing to keep in mind about Mark is he, he wasn't one of the disciples. He was a, a young man who was led to Christ led to faith in Christ by one of the disciples who, of course, if you had to name a disciple, you'd probably come up with the name Peter, right? He's probably the most commonly known disciple of Jesus, and that's the guy that John Mark spent an awful lot of time with. Um, you know, speaking of providence of God, one of the, you know, the interesting thing about John Mark is he was with Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas, rather, as they took their very first missionary journey, uh, and he went through all this effort to be out there with them, and it was too tough. It was hard, so he quit and came home, Uh, and Paul was quite upset about that, so much so that he wouldn't let him join them on another journey. These are big, you know, many month-long journeys they would take. He wouldn't let John Mark come. Uh, He was very upset about it, and that broke up Paul and Barnabas in the providence of God, then Paul and Silas went out on this next missionary journey. But uh, if you think about it, so he was disconnected from Paul, and as far as we can tell, he connected with Peter at that point, uh, sometime subsequent to that, and spent a lot of time with Peter, so much so that he was known as Peter's translator. He probably traveled with him and maybe did some on-the-spot on the translating. Um, we don't know exactly why this uh, church father calls him the, the translator. But here's the, here's the deal. When we're reading this, we're reading firsthand stories that Peter told over and over again. And, and Mark uh, would probably make, no, make notes on these and perhaps even interviewed Peter uh, as, he, as he wrote this. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's neat to know sort of the background of the author, uh, the person who wrote this. And that's, that's John Mark. And we, we're coming out of uh, Peter's house. Last week, uh, two weeks ago, we went to the synagogue. It was Sabbath, and all Jewish folks went to the synagogue. And this is a town up in north near the Sea of Galilee. This town is called Capernaum. And they go to the the synagogue. It's basically like us for church. 
synagogue literally means gather together. All the Jews would gather together week after week after week. And this Sabbath was really unusual because in walks Jesus. Uh, one, of, one of the titles of Jesus later on will be the Lord of the Sabbath. You know, he's, he's the master of everything. He's the king of kings, the creator of the entire universe, the sustainer as God of every molecule, uh, you know, mind-blowing realities about this individual who now has become a human being, uh, and he's God and man, and he walks in to the synagogue, and that's recorded there in uh, 21 through 28. Some amazing things happened there. We've talked about it a little bit. Uh, after that, they decided to go over to Peter's house, and Peter's house, he's called Simon here. That's another name for him. And they go in, and his mother-in-law has been very, very ill. She didn't go to the synagogue. She was too sick. She was laid up, and the grammar says that she was literally burning up with a fever. And they, you know, they had no treatments. They had no ICU. They didn't know what was going on with her. She's very ill. Uh, you know, potentially on her deathbed, we don't know. But immediately when Jesus comes into the house, the, uh, Peter and, and, and Andrew, James and John are there, and they tell Jesus about this mother-in-law who's so gravely ill. And she's laying right there, and Jesus comes over and takes her by the hand, lifts her up, and she's immediately healed, and she sets out to set the, the meal before them. She becomes the servant Im immediately. And so it was fantastic, and they had a wonderful meal, we presume. And then, uh, then the Sabbath day wound, wound down, and it's like by 6 p.m., the sun sets, and the Sabbath stops on, on Saturday evening. And so the neighborhood and the whole town you know, comes back to life and they can start moving around and they start, they go over to Simon's house where Jesus is and the, the text literally says the whole town came over there. Possibly a little hyperbole, but there's you know, more than likely hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people outside this little rock house uh, that is Simon Peter's house and they're bringing the sick to Jesus and between the Gospels, it tells us that he healed all of those people that he brought. And Mark says there were many, many, and he cast out demons. So, you know, you can imagine how busy that day was. And at the end of it, you know, you're, what do you, you come back, wow, Jesus is infinitely powerful. And yet he works in this way where he wants you to come to him for, for healing and for help. I mean, like I pointed out last week, it's not, it's not a hyperbole. Jesus could have snapped his fingers as God and ended, ended uh, all, all suffering. He could have healed everybody on the globe. Uh, but he chooses not to. He heals the few in that town who come to him who seek him and ask, uh, and some of them are brought by their friends and family. And 
Uh, and he's casting out demons. There, there's two different kinds. There's sick people and people with demons. That brings a lot of thought too. Why are there so many demons? Are there just as many demons affecting people today that are you know, hidden or explained away? Uh, all of these thoughts we'll be thinking about and carrying uh, with us uh, as we seek answers through more and more Scripture. But we have the impression of Jesus' power and his love, his compassion, and uh, his, his uh, humanity and his deity all wrapped in this one interesting package. Amazing package. So, you can imagine they go to sleep, they fall asleep at the end of the day, they're exhausted, and now comes our text for today. It is verse 35 through 39. It says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Imagine that, you know, this kind of energy, like, what are you doing? Don't you realize you're important and powerful and you've got lots of things to do and there's a lot of demands on your time and, what, you know, you shouldn't be out here all alone in this quiet place. There's work to do. Um, urgency, urgency. Everyone is looking for you. And verse 38, and he said to them, let us go on to the next towns. I'm sorry, and in a sense he's saying, I'm sorry about all those people looking for me, but no, we're moving on. Uh, we're moving on to a different city and different town. Uh, the opportunity to come to me was yesterday, apparently, and you're, you've, these people have come too late. You know, there's, is this huge reality that God gives you an opportunity uh, to, to come to him, and you should, you should take that opportunity because the next time, the Bible says things like, seek him while he may be found. And so there's that real, uh, sometimes people say that's not true. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. There's this like big phony picture of who God is. It's like propagated, and I used to call them Hallmark cards. You still remember Hallmark <laughs> it used to be in this American company. I know it's still there, but uh, uh, Hallmark card theology. You know, no, the Bible is a little bit different than that. And here is an example where he literally does. Jesus ever say no to anybody? Yeah, he does right here. Okay, he does say no. Uh, he's saying there's a lot of people looking for me, but guess what, guys? We have another plan. We have to go on to the next towns that I may preach. There also, for that is why I came out. And that's an interesting word, probably, probably referring to the fact that he came out of heaven to this earthly mission to do a job for God. And we'll talk about that a little bit too. Verse 39, And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Okay, let's pray. Father, in your kindness, open this word to us. Amen. Okay, so I want to talk about this prayer time. My outline is pretty simple. I ask three rhetorical questions. 
First of all, prayer. Who needs it? Secondly, pressure. Who handles it? Three, purpose. Who sticks to it? Hopefully the answer ultimately would be the same. We do. <laughs> That's the goal here. But let's look at prayer. Who needs it? I'm just starting with this idea that here's Jesus rising early in the morning while it was still dark. He departed and went out to a desolate place, kind of snuck out of the house quietly. Everyone else was still sleeping. They were all exhausted. It was a huge day yesterday. And there he prayed. Now, in my introduction, I referred to the fact that Jesus is God. The Bible teaches us this, and he demonstrates his power over and over again. So why does he need to pray? Uh, he's God and man. He's human. And this actually dis displays his actual humanity. He feels a need to pray. See, I don't think he's doing this as a just a lesson or just like an illustration or just to, to teach these guys, you know, because he left them in bed. <laughs> he snuck out. He literally snuck out of the house and got alone in a place where it was kind of hard to find him uh, to pray. I, I, I really believe we're looking at this beautiful humanity of Jesus where he needs to pray. He needs to talk to the Heavenly Father. Uh, so this is my question. Do we need to pray like a lot less than Jesus needs to pray? <laughs> we kind of like need to pray probably a thousand times more, right? Uh, he's fully God and fully man, and I'm not, and I'm not fully God. I'm fully man <laughs> and with all the, and I'm a sinful man. I'm a weak man. I'm, I'm an idiot man. Uh, I don't know the future. Uh, and the, I, I make mistakes. And I, and I do wrong things. And I'm pulled uh, by my own likelihood to do the wrong thing. I know none of you have that problem. And it's a little embarrassing for, you to, for me to admit it. <laughs> no, we all have this to be a human being. You, know, you, you hear in the popular culture, the uh, what is it, the... You have your better angels and your kind of lower, your lower, worse demons, all of us, right? Like you're pulled between what's good and what's bad. Uh, and that's, that's the reality of being a human being. We, we, have all, we all have our demons. And so we should be super motivated to pray. Super motivated to pray. And let me also point out, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about this for just a couple of minutes here, because it's really important and very interesting. But when I first read this, I'm filled with like, like a huge boatload of guilt. Because <laughs> if Jesus needs to pray, and I need to pray a whole lot more, then I evaluate my prayer life and I think, ah, it's embarrassing. I'm not praying nearly enough of what I should be praying. Uh, and, and that's true. That we, sh we should be motivated to pray because of this. Uh, but it's interesting that the Bible, the New Testament, is based on, on this word grace, not law. And you know what? Jesus, we have no record of him sneaking out and praying by himself like every single day in the middle of the night. We have no record of that. In fact, honestly, we can assume he did not do that. Otherwise, they would have told us he did that. He did it sometimes. 
When the need arose, he was out there praying. He's, he's not, and it wasn't always in the morning. The Bible actually shows us times when he went out to pray in the evening, in the afternoon, at different times. Uh, there's no law in the New Testament that says, okay, we want you to pray five times a day. And you listen when we yell at you from the church. That's when we want you to pray. You know, certain religions do that. And I will not you know, go any further on that. But it, it's not a biblical idea. We, we, we're called to a relationship with God where we're li- literally supposed to pray all the time, always in prayer. And then when we sense an extra difficult time, uh, we should have the forethought to say, I need extra prayer here. I need to get alone and just pray and, and to follow the Spirit's leading in that. I think he, it's, a, it's not a law-based prayer. Like, you should do this. In fact, you should do it so much, we think you should get up every single day at 4 a.m. and go out there and pray. Are you a real Christian? Then you should do this. <laughs> No, the Bible does not teach that. Okay? So I feel less guilty all of a sudden. When I really look at the evidence about who Jesus is and what he did, for example, uh, no, Luke 5.16 says, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. It says, yes, he did this, you know, kind of off and on. You know, we know he prayed in Gethsemane. That was late at night. Uh, and in Matthew it says, Remember the great miracle of the feeding of the 5,000? And actually those numbers swell because they only recorded the men, so it's probably like fifteen to 20,000. Uh, at the end of that day, he sent his disciples out. He says, you guys go. He got them in the boat. They left. And it says he went up to the hill to pray on his own. So those are some of the recorded times. We know he did this, but I'm just thankful that it wasn't like this rigid law that you should do this in this way at this time, and in fact, say these words every time you pray. No, it's a need-based prayer, not always in the morning, and and probably not every day, but he did pray. Uh, Let's look at at prayer just a little bit. Uh, We looked at some of these passages uh, last week, and there's two real key passages on prayer. If, if you look at um, the book of Galatians, chapter 4. We looked at this last week, uh, but since we see Jesus praying, and this is a critical passage on, uh, let's just put it this way, on uh, mental health for the believer. Uh, who needs to pray? Why do we need to pray? Why should we develop this habit of praying? Well, in, in Galatians uh, 4, uh, you know what's funny? I might have. Is it Galatians 4? Um, <laughs> I didn't write down this reference. What is that reference where it says, be anxious for nothing but in everything? Thank you. I had the wrong book. I told you I'm a human being. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians 4. Philippians 4. <laughs> Philippians 4. This is, if you don't have your Bible open, you should really turn in your Bible to Philippians 4. We, most of us know this, it's very familiar, but it's so important to keep your 
your mind sane in the world. This is, this is what prayer is for. It's for our peace. Otherwise, we'd go crazy. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. See, it's actually wrong for us to just allow anxiety to fill our heart and mind. To just sit there and churn and have this energy of worry distracting us. That's when you need to pray. Get alone and pray. Uh, Sneak out of the house and go over to the shore and pray to the Lord God. That's what it says. Not quite exactly that. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And in English, that last phrase, let your requests be made known to God. That sort of sounds like, yeah, this is a good, good idea. Maybe, maybe you should do this. No, in Greek, the word there to let your requests be made known is actually a command. It's an imperative. You pray. Slow down the anxiety. You know, put the brakes on it by developing a habit. To The Lord is at hand, and in everything, by prayer and supplication. What is that? Well, just different kinds of prayer. Supplications like specific requests, like, Lord, please help us in this specific thing. Uh, and, and I'm praying for other people in supplication. With thanksgiving. We call that a spiritual discipline. That means even while you're going through a very difficult trial, we should be people who, who know the goodness of God. And we are thankful for his kindness. We mark his grace in our lives. And we're people who are thankful. So when people bump into us, and you know what oozes out of us is, is it gratitude? Is it a sense of optimism, thankfulness, or whining and complaining? Let me tell you how bad it is in my life. Well, a believer should be developing the habit of being positive, of being thankful, of knowing what we're thankful for, So this is our prayer life. With thanksgiving, you pray. Let your requests be made known to God. And the result is, and again, this doesn't happen instantaneously. Sometimes it does. (laughs) I've had that happen. You know, where you're going through some real big crisis, and and suddenly, you know, you remember, I've got to pray. You go pray, and like, oh, wow, that feels better. You ever had that happen? Yeah, that does happen. It doesn't happen all the time. It sometimes takes a while for the peace of God to come. But look at this, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It's like, how can you be at peace? Well, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. What, what is, who is he? He's the master of time and space. He's the master of everything. And if he decides to bless if he decides to use this medication to defeat this illness, I'm going, going to praise him. If he decides that he's not going to do that, I'm going to praise him. He's the, the Lord of heaven and earth. And, and so that's what it means that we'll have the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. How can you be so at peace? Well, I'm learning to trust God. 
And here's Jesus out in this transitional time where he's still just sort of starting his public ministry. And he's saying, I need to be alone with God uh, to pray about this big transition that I am going through. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, prayer is so important. And the other one I mentioned last week too is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It has some staccato commands toward the end of the chapter, the, the boom, 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 boom uh, commands start uh, around, well, like verse 14 probably. But let's cut in at verse 16. Paul's the author. He's saying kind of the same thing. Rejoice always. He said that in Philippians 4. Everybody say Philippians 4. It wasn't Galatians, Pastor Nate. It was Philippians 4. Okay. Good to know. Good to remember. Thank the Lord I made that mistake. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice always. Again, do we whine and complain constantly? Then we're literally not obeying God. So now you can feel guilty about that too. <laughs> and then again, it's a process. Sometimes it's very, very difficult uh, for p- different people, have different personalities. They may be going different things. So we have to be patient with each other. We can't nag people into being joyful, right? <laughs> I will be the Holy Spirit for you <laughs> and produce joy in you by nagging the heck out of you. <laughs> okay, that's never happened, right? <laughs> No, we have to be loving and patient uh, with each other. Uh, these aren't instantaneous, uh, you know, like boot camp sort of commands. Like, private, polish your shoes. Well, you know, when, when I think about it, I'll, I'll give that a consideration. <laughs> I've never been in, in any military, but I imagine from movies that I've seen, that's not what happens at basic training. You obey immediately. Well, we should obey immediately, but I know it's pro- a process is what I'm trying to say. Rejoice always, but pray without ceasing. Christian friend, that's a command. It's not a suggestion. We have to be people of prayer. We have to be people who believe in God. And we demonstrate our theism by our prayer life. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's hard to do. Because the first thing you want to do is cuss. And that's, you, that's not considered thankfulness. <laughs> you know? And you got to kind of work through that and then bring yourself around to that spiritual dif- discipline of saying, Lord, I'm thankful for this. I don't understand it. I may not even like it. But I'm thankful for all of these circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Okay, that's First Thessalonians 5. I'm saying we should follow the example of Jesus. Prayer, who needs it? We need it. And we need it desperately. We need it now. Oh, I found, I wrote the references here. All that embarrassment was unnecessary. Philippians 4. <laughs> it was an accident. It was, it, <laughs> um, also, I have, let's turn to Hebrews. I'm really opening this up because I love this and it's so important and it's something that we all struggle with. Hebrews Chapter 4, another one of my most favorite passages on 
prayer. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. This is so beautiful. It says, since we have a great high priest. Just pause there. What is that? That's talking about Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us this person, Jesus, who snuck out of the house in Capernaum and went out to a desolate place to pray. He's now our high priest praying for us. And can we say with us in heaven? Yes, he is our mediator between God and man. This, the, the Bible is really clear on this, by the way. There is no mediator between God and man except the man, Christ Jesus. And man there is not talking about gender, okay? You know, let's get over this gender thing. It's ridiculous. Uh, the, I'm, but he's a human. That's what he's saying. Fully God, fully man. And he is 100% adequate in that job to be the mediator. You know, it's so exciting. He doesn't need any help. No one needs to help him. We don't pray to anybody else. We don't bring, you know, uh, any, any energy directed toward another human being because the Bible says Jesus is fully adequate and we worship him because of his absolute sufficiency. He's hyper-sufficient. He's infinitely sufficient. You know, hallelujah. That's why we worship him. We praise him. And we have a great high priest. I wanted to yell that louder, but I'm not going to. Imagine me yelling that word. <laughs> great, great, great high priest. Mega. I bet you the Greek word is mega there. I don't know for sure. But we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. This is Jesus. He's done it all. It's complete. Jesus, the Son of God. Whew. Let us hold fast our confession. Our confession is we believe that Jesus is our Savior. We believe he is fully man and fully God. We believe he's fully sufficient. In Christ alone we stand. And we're not going to insult him by bringing any sort of prayer request to any other human being. That's diminishing the revelation of who he is. Let us hold fast our confession. Verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. It's not like Jesus is so high and mighty and lofty and unhuman that he, he needs help to understand humanity. No, he's human. He fully understands our weaknesses. And, and so he's able to sympathize. I, I sympathize with you. We have a sympathetic mediator. He loves us. He's warm. He's open. He's not scary. He'll listen to us. Thank you, Lord. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And, and here comes the big therefore. This is where the author of Hebrews, Hebrews is driving. Verse 16. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne 
of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. See, this is why we believe in Jesus and in Jesus alone, Christ alone. He is our, our Savior. We come to the throne. And look, it says, we come with confidence. When you have faith in Jesus, the issues are all settled. Your sins are forgiven. He's washed you. You're coming in the new covenant, which is this beautiful agreement between God and Christ that he has paid for our sins in full. So we come with confidence and even a sense of freedom and a sense of being relaxed, literally, in his presence. We come with confidence. We draw near to the throne of grace. I've had the joy of traveling in India a few times. And I've been to the, uh, I've been to Agra, uh, the Taj Mahal, three times. It's really awesome. And across from the Taj is this uh, castle, residence, government building for the Mughals who built the Taj Mahal. And in there, you can you can go to their throne room and you can see the throne. And what, what all it is is just this mass of marble, this solid rock marble where they would sit. I don't know if they had chairs on there or not. I'm not sure. But they would sit and make judgments and rule with all power. And that marble wasn't made of grace. It's rock, hard, solid. But when we come to the throne room of God, you come to the throne, you discover it's beautiful, it's grace. You know, forgive me, but it's like a big hunk of chocolate. <laughs> it's good, and it's wonderful, and it's kind and sympathetic. It's not a rock-hard judgment. The judgment has been paid in Christ. He took all that rock-hard condemnation for us. So that's why we draw near and find it to be not a throne of condemnation. In Christ, it's a throne of grace. This is what prayer is. Coming to the throne of grace. And it says that we may receive mercy. You have mercy on us. We come, first of all, as sinners. Always sinners. Have mercy on my sin. Forgive me, Lord. And then he says, you'll find grace to help in time of need. Who needs prayer? Who needs it? We need it. And Jesus has made the way. He's passed through the heavens in order for us to have this beautiful, beautiful opportunity to pray. Okay, so what happens next in, in Mark? Well, we have this situation where Peter here early on is already showing initiative. He's the guy who always has the questions and speak up quickly and solve the problems. He's sort of an American man. Get out there and make this thing work. We've got to get Jesus back here. Where is he? <laughs> we, he's got people here. So he goes out and uh, is looking for him. They look hard and they find him. Uh, they search for him and they found him and they said, everyone is looking for you. So uh, this, this brings me to pressure. What, what keeps us away from a prayer life, what keeps us away from quiet, desolate places is busyness. You know, you have 
5,807 friend requests. <laughs> no, you, you've got Facebook. Uh, if you don't have Facebook, you have email, right? And, these, and then you, you've got texts coming in constantly. Uh, now I've got this thing linked in. I've had it for years, and all of a sudden it started, like, every day I get six people trying to tell me something on LinkedIn, you know? You ever had that problem? Like, social? No, none of you have that problem. Okay, thank you, Kurt. <laughs> Is it a problem, right? Uh, we, we are busy. We're so, so very busy. We're seriously busy. We're really busy. We're so busy. We're too busy. We're very busy. We're just crazy busy, right? Our lives are filled with good things. And, and what I'm saying is this is the road to prayerlessness, prayerlessness. If we just allow busyness and all the other stress, uh, Jesus told this amazing, you know, epic parable. It's called the parable of the sower. And it, it, it applies uh, to the preaching of the gospel where a, a man goes out and throws out the seed. And, and, but it applies to life in general as our response to the gospel because there's a lot of uh, obstacles a lot of bad things happen to the good seed in people's lives. One is the, the you know, it's, it gets on hard, the path, the seeds fall on the path, and the big black birds come and eat it up really in a hurry. And then some of it gets into the rocky soil where it really has no chance to, uh, to grow. It's a rocky soil. And the other one falls into better soil, and it starts to grow, but quickly weeds choke out God's good work in the individual's life. And I think this applies to, to pressure and prayer. There's so much in life. And, you know, Satan will attack us. He'll try to get us distracted from God. You, you, the moment you, you make a move, I want, to be, I want to be more submitted to God. I want to live for God. Then the pressure is turned up and your life gets much more complicated. And crows start coming in and taking the word from you. Or the, the rocky soil just seems like that's just not making an impact on me. Or I think a lot of us are in the weeds and the thorns, the thorny issues. You, Pastor, you don't know how, when I, when I solve this thorny issue in my life, then I'll start thinking about my relationship with God, right? And, and, and of course, that's completely wrong because God is the only one that can sort out the thorny issues. We need to deal with pressure. Who handles it by turning it over to our Lord God? I, I found this really interesting chart on how to be successful. Somebody carefully made this for us. So just just do this, you know, three simple, or no, no, 17 simple steps, <laughs> and you'll be successful in life. No, that's not the way it works. Fortunately, the text ends with this tremendous idea of purpose. Purpose, who sticks to it? And Jesus has a purpose and he's going to stick to it. He's not a slave to the urgent. There's this thing called the tyranny of the urgent. Things that are urgent are tyrants. And they want to take over our life and take us from where we should be with God. And he could have looked at that crowd of people saying, you know, Peter says, everyone is looking for you. He could have said, well... I better, you know, follow that pressure. I better start living that way. I better start doing that. But, but he does not do that. It's a tremendous example of somebody who knows his purpose. 
He said to them, and I supplied the word no. I think it's legitimate. He's saying no to all these people who are looking for him. He says, no, let's go, go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I have come out. Again, coming out of heaven. He didn't come out to meet his own personal needs or to declare a genetic aberration in himself. He came out to do the Father's will, which was to preach. He came primarily to preach the gospel. Uh, I've already waxed a little long, so I'm... Yeah, let's turn to it real quick. It won't, won't take long. Turn with me to Isaiah. Let's get a little Old Testament. Isaiah 61. Is This is the thing where Jesus is literally just living by exactly what the Bible tells him to do. It says this in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. That's a, a loaded word because that, that's the word for Messiah. The Messiah is the anointed one. And, and the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. He's saying, God has called me to preach the good news to all of these other people, and that's what I need to do. So he's living by his purpose. He's here to preach, not here to heal everyone. He heals a lot of people but he's here to preach the gospel. He's here to give us information. And what you believe is important. Uh, again, this is counter our culture. Our culture just says, just believe. You know, believe in something. And we, we should be tolerant of anybody and everybody's beliefs. Well, we're tolerant in the sense that you can believe that and we're not going to hurt you, but we believe what you believe is totally wrong and it's misleading you, and you believe a pack of lies about who God is based on how he has revealed himself in the Bible. But I'm tolerant. I, you, you know, I'm not going to hurt you. I want to support you, even in the freedom to believe something that I believe is totally wrong. So we keep that in balance. But on the other hand, we want to proclaim the information of who God really is, proclaim the gospel all over the globe, uh, to all the nations, what you believe is important, the content, the, the information, the data that God has given us is, is important. It matters what you believe. Because if you don't believe the truth, you, you miss out on eternity with God. So Jesus says, I'm here to preach the truth. That's why I'm here, to bring this information. So let me close with this. What is your purpose? What is your purpose? in life. Are you, can you identify it? Can you, can you stick to it when you're being drug away from it? Uh, let me suggest a few passages that talk about that. The Bible, the New Testament tells us that God calls all of us into his service, and he's, he's calling you, he's called you in the course where you are to be his servant there. Um, 
For example, here's Colossians. It says, and this is actually addressed to slaves who are owned by their masters in the New Testament. The New Testament doesn't talk about uh, thoroughly like freeing those slaves. These are slaves that are well-treated uh, in their homes. And so he's talking to slaves, which sounds like an employee, perhaps. He says, whatever you do, work heartily. You know, put your heart into it. As for the Lord and not for men. So whatever you do, you know, if, if you are um, an officer in the military, you obviously submit to this big power structure and ultimately, you know, our commander in chief. But uh, the Bible says you have a commander in chief far beyond uh, the president in the Oval Office. You are here to serve the Lord, no matter what you do. If you're a carpenter, a retired individual, a, a counselor, you know, whatever we do, uh, we are to we are servants of God, and I want to serve God in this role He's called me. That's my purpose, and I want to know what that is and be excited about his calling in my life. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So that is all our purpose, and it is a general idea, but we're supposed to be people who understand that and work committed to whatever God has called us to, to have that purpose. Okay, so I want to close off with just a couple of ideas, summing up, uh, really focusing in on, on prayer. We sang a song, Hosanna, and I actually asked Igor to, to bring that back. We sang it at Palm Sunday. Sometimes we only sing it once a year. But, you know, that is a prayer song, a prayer song. I want to read the lyrics to you uh, briefly. It says this, Praise is rising eyes are turning to you. We turn to you. Hope is stirring. Hearts are yearning for you. We long for you because when we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence, all our fears are washed away. Washed away. Hosanna. See, that's a, that's, that word means help us please. Save us. Please and it becomes a prayer of praise. I praise you. I believe you're able to hear me and to save me. So that's my praise to you. You can save me. Hosanna, Hosanna. You are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. Hosanna, Hosanna. Come, have your way among us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Hear the sound of hearts returning to you. We turn to you. In your kingdom, broken lives are made new. You make us new. Because when we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence, all our fears are washed away. Washed away. Hosanna, Hosanna. You're the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. Hosanna, Hosanna. Come, have your way among us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Because when we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence, all our fears are washed away. Because when we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence, 
All our fears are washed away, washed away. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the interesting and amazing example of Jesus in our passage today. How after that long day, he could have used a couple extra hours sleep. But he forced himself to get out of bed and sneak out of the house and go to be alone to pray. He sensed a need of you, O Lord. And he, in his own way, said, O Lord, help me. Give me wisdom. He brought his needs before you. Lord, we see your word that commands us to pray. We pray, Lord, that you will give us strength to face the day. We pray that we will pray, not yielding to pressures, but keeping your purpose in mind for our lives. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.